Part One, Chapter Eleven of the Story of the Barbary Corsairs by Stanley Lane Poole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White. Chapter Eleven, Charles at Algiers, fifteen forty-one. When Barbarossa left Algiers forever in fifteen thirty-five to become the High Admiral of the Ottoman Empire, the Corsairs lost indeed their chief but so many of his captains remained behind that the game of sea-roving went on as merrily as ever. Indeed, so fierce and ruthless were their depredations that the people of Italy and Spain and the islands began to regret the attentions of so gentlemanly a robber as Barbarossa. His successor, or viceroy, at Algiers was a Sardinian renegade, Hassan the Eunuch, but the chief commanders at sea were Dragut, Salih Reis, sinan and the rest who when not called to join the captain pasha's fleet pursued the art of piracy from the barbary coast dragut properly torgud worked measureless mischief in the archipelago and adriatic seized venetian galleys and laid waste the shores of italy till he was caught by Gianettino doria nephew of the great admiral while unsuspectingly engaged in dividing his spoils on the sardinian coast 1540. Incensed to find his vast empire perpetually harassed by foes so lawless and in numbers so puny, Charles the Emperor resolved to put down the Corsair's trade once and forever. He had subdued Tunis in 1535, but piracy still went on. Now he would grapple the head and front of the offense and conquer Algiers. He had no fears of the result. The Corsair city would fall at the mere sight of his immense flotilla, and in this vainglorious assurance he set out in October 1541. He even took Spanish ladies on board to view his triumph. The season for a descent on the African coast was over, and everyone knew that the chance of effecting anything before the winter storms should guard the coast from any floating enemy was more than doubtful, but the Spaniards commonly move with gravity and besides charles had been delayed during a busy summer by his troubles in germany and flanders and could not get away before now at last he was free and in spite of the earnest remonstrances of doria and the entreaties of the pope to algiers he would go everything had long been prepared a month he believed at the outside would finish the matter in short go he would at spezia he embarked on Doria's flagship. The Duke of Alva, of sanguinary memory, commanded the troops, many of whom had been brought by the Emperor himself from the German highlands. Ill luck attended them from the outset. A storm, no unusual phenomenon with November coming on, drove the ships back into shelter at Corsica. At length the seas subsided, and the fleet, picking up allies as it went along, cautiously hugged the land as far as Menorca, where the Mistral, the terror of seamen, rushed down upon the huge armada, masts strained, yards cracked, sails were torn to rags, and there was nothing for it but to row, row for their lives, and for Charles. They were but seven miles from Port Mahon, yet it took half the night to win there, an endless night which the panting crews never forgot. In the Bay of Palma, at Majorca, the fleet was assembled. There were the Emperor's hundred sailing vessels carrying the German and Italian troops, commanded by such historic names as Colonna and Spinoza, 
there were Fernando Gonzago's Sicilian galleys, and a hundred and fifty transports from Naples and Palermo. There were the fifty galleys of Bernardino de Mendoza, conveying two hundred transports with the arms and artillery, and carrying the corps of gentlemen adventurers mustered from the chivalry of Spain, and including one only who had climbed up from the ranks. But that one was Cortes, the conqueror of Mexico. Over five hundred sail, manned by twelve thousand men, and carrying a land force of twenty four thousand soldiers, entered the roads of Algiers on October nineteenth, fifteen forty one. At last, the great emperor set eyes upon the metropolis of piracy. On the rocky promontory which forms the western crest of the Crescent Bay, high up the amphitheatre of hills, tier upon tier, in their narrow, overshadowed lanes, the houses of the corsairs basked in the autumn sun crowned by the fortress which had known the imperious rule of two barbarossas on the right was the mole which spanish slaves had built out of the ruins of the spanish fort two gates fronted the south and north the bab azun and bab el weed avoiding the promontory of Cashina, the galleys with furled sails drew up before the low strand backed by stretches of luxuriant verdure south of the city and out of range at the spot which is still called the Hardin de Sai. A heavy swell prevented their landing for three days, but on the 23rd, in beautiful weather, the troops disembarked. The Berbers and Arabs who had lined the shore and defied the invaders hastily retired before the guns of the galleys, and the Spaniards landed unopposed. The next day they began the march to the city some few miles off. The Spaniards formed the left wing on the hillside, the emperor and the duke of alva with the german troops composed the centre the italians and one hundred and fifty knights of malta marched on the right by the seashore driving back the straggling bands of mounted arabs who ambushed among the rocks and ravines and picked off many of the christians the invaders pushed steadily on till algiers was invested on all sides save the north its fate appeared sealed a brief bombardment from charles's heavy cannon and the spaniards would rush the breach and storm the citadel hassan aga within with only eight hundred turks and perhaps five thousand arabs and moors must almost have regretted the proud reply he had just made to the emperor's summons to surrender then when the end seemed close at hand the forces of nature came to the rescue the stars in their courses fought for algiers the rains descended and the winds blew and beat upon that army, till the wretched soldiers, with neither tents nor cloaks, with barely food, for the landing of the stores had hardly begun, standing all night knee-deep in slush in that penguin soil, soaked to the skin, frozen by the driving rain and bitter wind, were ready to drop with exhaustion and misery. When morning dawned, they could scarcely bear up against the blustering gale. Their powder was wet and a sudden sally of the Turks spread a panic in the sodden ranks which needed all the courage and coolness of the Knights of Malta to compose. At last the enemy was driven out of the trenches and pursued, skirmishing all the way to the Bab Azun. It looked as though pursuers and pursued would enter together, but the gate was instantly shut, and a daring Knight of Malta had barely struck his dagger in the gate to defy the garrison when the Christians found themselves under so heavy a fire from the battlements that they were forced to beat a retreat the knights of malta last of all their scarlet doublets shining like a fresh wound 
and their faces to the foe, covered the retreat. Hassan then led out his best horsemen from the gate, and driving their heels into their horses' flanks, the cloud of Muslims poured down the hill. The knights of Malta bore the shock with their iron firmness, though they lost heavily. The Italians ran for their lives. The Germans, whom Charles hurriedly dispatched to the rescue, came back at the double without drawing a sword. The emperor himself put on his armor, spurred his charger into the midst of the fugitives, sword in hand, and with vehement reproaches, succeeded in shaming them into fight. Come, gentlemen, then said he to the nobles around. Forwards! And thus he led his dispirited troops once more to the field. This time the panic alarm of the rank and file was controlled and banished by the cool courage of the cavaliers, and the Turks were driven back into the town. The skirmish had cost him three hundred men and a dozen knights of Malta. All that day the emperor and his officers, great seigneurs all, stood at arms in the pouring rain, with the water oozing from their boots, vigilantly alert. Had Charles now run his ships ashore at all hazard, and dragged up his heavy siege train and stores and tents and ammunition, all might yet have been won. But several precious days were wasted, and on the morning of the 25th such a storm sprang up as mortal mariner rarely encountered, even off such a coast, a violent northeasterly hurricane, still known in Algiers as Charles's Gale, such as few vessels care to ride off a lee shore. The immense flotilla in the bay was within an ace of total destruction. Anchors and cables were powerless to hold the crowded, jostling ships. One after the other they broke loose and keeled over to the tempest till their decks were drowned in the seas. Planks gaped. Broadside to broadside the helpless hulks crashed together. Many of the crews threw themselves madly on shore. In six hours, one hundred and fifty ships sank. The rowers of the galleys, worn out with toiling at the oar, at last succumbed, and fifteen of the vessels ran on shore, only to be received by the Berbers of the hills, who ran their spears through the miserable shipwrecked sailors as soon as they gained the land. The worst day must come to an end. On the morrow the storm was over, and Doria, who had succeeded in taking the greater part of the fleet out to sea, came back to see what new folly was in hand. He was indignant with the emperor for having rejected his advice, and so led the fleet and army into such peril. He was disgusted with his captains, who had completely lost their coolness in the hurricane, and wanted to run their vessels ashore, with the certainty of wreck, sooner than ride out the storm, and yet called themselves sailors. He found Charles fully aware of the necessity for a temporary retreat, till the army should be revictualled and reclothed. The camp was struck. The emperor himself watched the operation, standing at the door of his tent in a long white cassock, murmuring quietly the Christian's consolation, Thy will be done. Fiat voluntas tua. Baggage and ordnance were abandoned. The horses of the field artillery were devoured by the hungry troops, and then the march began. To retreat at all is humiliation, but to retreat as this luckless army did was agony. Deep mud clogged their weary feet. When a halt was called, they could but rest on their halberts. To lie down was to be suffocated in filth. Mountain torrents, swollen breast-high, had to be crossed, 
the waiting men were washed away till they built a rude bridge oh crowning humiliation out of the wreckage of their own ships hassan and a multitude of turks and arabs hung forever on their flanks the dejected italians who had no stomach for this sort of work fell often into the hands of the pursuers the germans who could do nothing without their customary internal stuffing were mere impedimenta and only the lean spaniard covered the retreat with something of his natural courage at last the dejected army reached the bay of Temendefust, matifo where the remains of the fleet were lying at anchor it was resolved in view of the approach of winter and the impossibility of sending supplies to an army in stormy weather to re-embark cortes in vain protested the council of war agreed that it was too late in the year to attempt retaliation then a new difficulty arose how was room to be found in a flotilla which had lost nearly a third of its ships for an army which was but a couple of thousand less than when it landed regretfully charles gave orders for the horses to be cast into the sea and despite their master's entreaties favorite chargers of priceless value were slaughtered and thrown overboard the famous breed of spanish horses was well-nigh ruined it was but one tragedy more on the second of november most of the troops were on board charles resolved to be the last to leave the strand but the wind was getting up the sea rising and at last he gave the order to weigh anchor often is the story told in algiers how the great emperor who would fain hold europe in the palm of his hand sadly took the crown from off his head and casting it into the sea said go bauble let some more fortunate prince redeem and wear thee he did not sail a moment too soon a new and terrific storm burst forth the ships were driven hither and thither where the tempest drove them there they helplessly wandered and many men died from famine and exposure some of the spanish vessels were wrecked at algiers and their crews and troops were sent to the banos charles himself and doria arrived safely at bougia then a spanish outpost with part of the flotilla here the unexpected visitors soon caused a famine and still the tempest raged the half-starved rovers in vain tried to make head against the waves and carry the emperor back to spain eighty miles out they gave in and the ships returned disconsolately to the harbor twelve days and nights the storm bellowed along the treacherous coast and not till november twenty third could the imperial fleet set sail for the coast of spain there was mourning in castile that yuletide besides eight thousand rank and file three hundred officers of birth had fallen victims to the storm or the moorish lance algiers teemed with christian captives and it became a common saying that a christian slave was scarce a fair barter for an onion so ended this famous expedition it was begun in glory and ended in shame the whole of christendom one might say for there were english knights there like sir thomas challoner as well as germans frenchmen spaniards and italians in the army had gone forth to destroy a nest of pirates and behold by the fury of the elements and the foolishness of their own counsels they were almost destroyed themselves they had left behind them ships and men and stores and cannon worse they had left algiers stronger and more defiant than ever 
the algerines for their part never forgot the valor of the knights of malta and the spot where they made their stand is still called the grave of the knights high up on the hillside may be seen the emperor's castle which marks the traditional place where charles's great pavilion was pitched on the morning of the fatal twenty-third of october the climate of africa it is the caustic comment of admiral julien de la graviere was evidently unsuited to deeds of chivalry end of part one chapter eleven recording by james k white chula vista